Hello everyone, you listen to J Movie Talk, episode 141, as I be talking 1995's New Jersey Drive. What's up? This is not a fucking drag strip. You understand what I'm telling you? This is my groove. Don't fuck with my groove, nigga. You understand what I'm telling you? I'm tired of you folks coming out with this bullshit. This ain't no fucking car race. Take that shit back to Avon Street, faggot. Yeah, bounce, motherfucker. Bounce or get bounced, fuck. All right, everybody, I'm back 141 as I'll be talking New Jersey Drive. Um, So this week, uh, this episode, I decided to do something a little different uh, that was originally advertised uh, for this episode. Originally, I was going to do uh, the movie star Keanu Reeves called River's Edge, but I decided to kind of switch it up a little bit and go with something a little different than what I was kind of doing in the past with um, Lords of Dogtown and uh, Over the Edge, I decided to kind of come up to the 90s with uh, New, Zer- New Jersey Drive, um, which is a movie that I've, I've kind of seen a few times when I was younger. It's been probably, oh man, I can't even think about how long it's been. I know it's been some years. I probably haven't seen it since like the early 2000s, actually. Oh, whatnot. So this was actually like a refresher for me of remembering this movie and everything like that. So, of course, before I get started talking about the movie and everything like that, I just do just want to do like a synopsis and a character rundown, a cast rundown. Excuse me. Uh, So basic plot of the summary of the movie really is uh, Jason and Midget are two young black teenagers living in Newark, New Jersey, the unofficial car thief capital of the world. Their favorite pastime is that of everybody in their neighborhood stealing cars and joyriding. The trouble starts when they steal a police car and the cops launch a violent offensive that involves beating and even shooting suspects. And the cast we have here is uh, Sharon Corley as Jason Petty, Gabriel Cassius as Midget, Saul Stein as Roscoe, Gwen McGee as Renee Petty, Donald Faison as Tiny Dime. Um, and then there's a couple of cameos by a few well-known actors. Uh, Christine Baranski plays a prosecutor. Heavy D plays a character named Bo Kane, uh, who I assume was a drug dealer. I mean, it's never like made clear exactly because we only see him in one freaking scene. We have an appearance by freaking Orange Juice Jones, who's probably best known for his song "The Rain" back in the '80s. He plays a character's um, dad, and I mean, everyone else here is pretty much like unknown actors for the most part. So I won't even go through them. But those are pretty much our main cast of characters with the exception of a few cameo appearances and everything. So the movie is directed by director Nick Gomez, who, um, he like I said, he directed this and he's directed a lot of stuff, actually. Um, some well-known stuff. So kind of going back, uh, this was actually his first, well, his second movie, but his first, like, big uh, movie or anything like that. Uh, so, New Jersey Drive came out in 1995. Then he did a movie called Ill Town that came out in 1996 that starred freaking Michael Rappaport. Never even heard of it um, or anything like that. Uh, he did an episode of New York Undercover, uh, Homicide Life on the Street. He directed an episode of Sopranos, a couple of episodes of Oz. Um, he directed the 2000 movie Drowning Mona, which um, which starred here. 
It stars Danny DeVito, Bette Miller, Nev Campbell, Jamie Lee Curtis. All-star cast for that uh, movie. Uh, let's see what else he's done here. He's done some more TV with the TV show Crossing Jordan, The Practice, uh, Veronica Mars, a couple episodes of The Shield, uh, a couple episodes of The 4400, uh, a few episodes of Dexter, True Blood. Um, let's see what else here. Did an episode of House, Flash Forward, Detroit 187, um, a few episodes of Damages, Magic City, Burn Notice. So, like I say, he's done, like, he's been directing, like, a lot of TV stuff, especially here in the last few years. He did an episode of Daredevil as well. Um, Queen of the South, uh, Midnight Texas, Chicago PD, Sneaky Pete. FBI and the Charm reboot is the most recent thing that he's done. But uh, let's go back to 1995 with, of course, New Jersey Drive. Now, this movie has the distinct this um connection to Spike Lee because of Nick Gomez's uh working relationship with Spike Lee and everything. But also too, it was produced by Spike Lee's uh 40 Acres and a Mule production company as well. So that's kind of a connection it has with Spike. And I, I kind of get the feeling like if the Spike Lee probably would have directed this movie if he wasn't busy doing something else, because from the story aspect of it, it seemed like something that Spike would have done. But because of how Spike Lee's directing style is, I don't think it would have. I don't think he would have been able to do exactly what Nick Gomez does with it. And I'll speak more about that as I kind of get in more to talking about the film. So the movie basically opens up with uh, our lead character played by Sharon Corley, um, Jason, as he's being walked in to a um, detention lockup or whatnot. And we kind of get like a voiceover of him talking about how he ended up here. And then it goes back to where, him and a friend of his Ronnie are riding in a stolen car and they're on a on the road and everything and basically as they're riding there's some cops that's kind of perched up on a on a um on a hill or whatnot hidden and as they kind of driving by the cops and everything uh one of the cops they shoot out the tire they come to a stop and then the cops just start unloading on them you know shooting at them and they get out of there and they take off running. And in the process of all this happening, Ronnie gets seriously shot. He gets shot real bad and he ends up in the hospital. And this is kind of like the catalyst for what would come along later on in the film and everything. So after that is now, well, not just after that, but this movie has the distinction of having a tagline that New Jersey well. Yeah, New Jersey is the unofficial car thief capital of the world. Now, I don't know that for a fact or anything. I'm not from Jersey or anything like this. But apparently, back in the day, New Jersey was well known for, you know, a lot of carjackings. And that's kind of another thing, the inspiration for this story, too, to kind of bring light to what was going on with that and how these kids were just, you know, on the streets and everything. And they were just carjacking cars, you know, any type of cars that they could get their hands on some of them were just going out for rides in them some of them were, were doing it to sell them to like chop shops and things of that nature so 
they they just was kind of it was like a free-for-all basically and i think this movie does a good job of like bringing attention to that and everything um so next thing i want to talk about is sharon corley's performance now i won't say that he's a good actor <laughs> necessarily in this um he i think he does what's needed for the character but i think if a different actor had played his part i think his performance would have come across a lot better because there's a few times in the movie where he i think a better actor would have made certain scenes a lot better especially when he gets angry and everything because it almost becomes comical in a way when he gets upset and how he's like angrily you know cursing or fussing at someone and everything because he 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 doesn't have great range and i'm not saying that as a derogatory thing towards him as an actor i mean he he was in a movie and everything like that so i I can't really knock him for that but i I think if a different young actor might have been in that part they probably would have brought more to it to some degree i mean he's not terrible in the movie but i don't think his his acting warranted him being necessarily the lead character i mean he does bring sympathy to the role because there are a few scenes where you do sympathize with certain things that happen to him but i think a better actor probably would have gave this movie more realism and i'm trying to think of like someone that was a young actor at that time that probably could have pulled this off i think maybe 1995 terrence howard probably could have did did this character more justice um maybe a lorenz tate or um trying to think of someone else i mean like young actors that was around at that time black actors of course at that time that probably would have did something maybe even an omar epps probably would have brought more to the character of jason than necessarily sharon did so at some points in the movie i kind of find myself like not not necessarily losing interest in his character but it just he didn't he didn't emote well i should say so um next thing i want to talk about here is um jason's home life so we we kind of do get a lot of his home life in this movie and his mother who is involved with this guy named lionel or whatnot who's clearly their step dad well she's well he's he's their stepdad jason and jackie who play brother and sister jackie she kind of comes in and out of the story he's she's his younger sister so i I felt like the stuff that we got with her was almost kind of unnecessary especially then when it didn't really lead to too too much i mean there's one scene later in the movie where her being out where he is kind of gets um gets jason into trouble one of his his so-called friends and and they get into a fight about her and later on uh the guy richie tries to kill jason and everything over this he wants to shoot him down because jason beat him up in front of everybody so his first reaction was oh let me go get a gun and let me kill this motherfucker basically which unfortunately is kind of what teenagers and young people do here lately anyway you know um but uh, for the most part i think the best thing about his home life was the relationship between him and his mom because when we first see his mom they have a strained relationship but i feel like there was something missing as far as how they ended up 
getting close again because for the most part of the movie when we see her interaction with him she's always fussing at him about you know the things that he's doing and getting in trouble all the time and getting arrested but then it's like there's a there's a certain point where she's you know happy with him and they're all cool and it's okay well when did they kind of reconcile this when we didn't get any type of scene of them having any kind of recognition um throughout the movie and also too like i said the whole stuff with with his sister we see where the mom is always on jason about him being out in the streets and everything like this but when we see his sister out we never get a scene of where she's arguing about the daughter you know being out and being around the same type of people that jason is so i felt like there was some some stuff missing in regards to that but we do get to see that jason does have somewhat of a troubled home life too um next thing here is after the whole thing with jason you know has it has kind of a, a thing with his family the cops show up and he gets arrested and brought in about the whole ronnie shooting and we find out that um there's like a whole investigation going on into this shooting because of the fact that not only did the cops say that um ronnie uh, shot at him shot back at them there was no gun recovered so there was like some questioning into what exactly were the cops doing and and the fact that they were shooting at these teenagers like this with no type of warning or anything so the prosecutor played by christina baranski she's questioning jason about the whole incident and he just kept saying over and over like there was no gun you know there was no gun ronnie didn't have a gun nobody had a gun cops just started shooting so that kind of gets the wheels in motion about this whole internal investigation to the police and as with the fact is it this is built up so much um about the cops and the whole like the cricket cops and the shooting and everything at some points in the movie you kind of forget about this because the movie goes away from this and almost makes you forget about this whole grand jury testimony thing that is looming over jason's head and also the dirty cop um roscoe or whatnot so you kind of forget about it for the most part i think if they would have kind of expanded on that to some degree um it would have been a lot better but we get we spend more time with these teenagers just kind of out and about just hanging out car you know stealing cars and just riding around and doing like craziness but i think if the story was a little bit tighter in that regard it probably would have added more to it so um that was one of the things i kind of didn't like is that they build this whole thing up so much but then they kind of forget about it and then they kind of come back to it it's like oh yeah this is going on isn't it um so the first time we actually see um officer roscoe played by saul stein is when jason midget and tiny dime are out they kind of just joy riding and whatnot and he rolls up on them and he starts chasing them you know through the streets and everything and and all that type of stuff and we kind of get in quite a bit of that of where roscoe he kind of shows up randomly you know throughout the movies it's like the movie kind of is similar to the whole grand jury test uh trial thing the character of roscoe you kind of forget about him at certain points until they decide to like hey we haven't had anything seriously happen with roscoe let's bring him back in so he can do something grimy to these kids and everything so he just kind of floats in and out of the movie and even with him we never get a true um i want to say a true 
ending to his character. I know what happens at the end with his character where he gets suspended and everything. And an investigation is continuously going into him and his involvement with Ronnie shooting and everything. But um, all the stuff between him and Jason, where he's like trying to trying to um, muscle Jason into not testifying against him and things of that nature. Like I said, he just kind of comes in and out of the movie. And I mean, the character of, of Roscoe is much needed, but I feel like they kind of dropped the ball in regards to his character because of the fact that there's no, there he, he just kind of floats in and out. And I didn't have a problem with the actor that plays Roscoe, except for the fact that here's this, um, this white guy and his name is Roscoe. Uh, the fact that his name is Roscoe is like, really? Like, um, maybe if it was a black cop playing that part that I think that would have probably brought a more interesting dynamic to it, to the fact that you have these young black kids and they're getting hassled by this, this black cop named Roscoe. Um, that would have probably made things a little bit more interesting, but I understand the fact that they wanted to kind of play with the whole race thing of here's this white cop that has no problem, you know, bullying and, and abusing and even killing these young black kids. So I understand what they was going for there, but uh, at the same time, I think the movie probably would have played a little bit better and even raised a little bit more question if it was a, if the lead cop in this was black actually, because then you could open a whole different can of worms when it comes to stuff like that. Um. So um, next thing I want to talk about the fact that this is, it's funny seeing Donald Faison in this movie um, because, I mean, of course, people probably know him best for, you know, movies like Clueless and, and of course, being on Scrubs and, you know, other certain movies. But what's funny about it is that this was one of three movies that Donald Faison was in in 1995. Of course, Clueless was the biggest one from that year, but he also was in Waiting to Exhale where he played uh, Loretta Devine's son and just seeing him play this kind of street kid or whatnot. And I think if maybe he would have played the, the character of uh, Jason, it might have been a little bit better in that regard. But um, the role that he's given here as Tiny Dime, who is just a, you know, a car thief and everything. And he's, you know, Jason Midget's like best friend. And he just seems to be having fun and everything like this. And then, one of these chance um, sting operations of Roscoe and his uh, goons or whatnot uh, trying to run up on the boys and and uh, Tiny Dime he gets into a car and he tries to taste off and as he's trying to get away he gets sideswiped by another police car and he ends up being killed and I think his character's death is kind of what really sets things in motion of everything kind of going downhill from here because his, his death does kind of somewhat loom over um what happens later and everything and that's things start going by because like i say we have ronnie who gets shot in the beginning tiny dime gets killed by the cops and it's like well, what's gonna happen next type of thing but i thought donald Faison, i thought he was good in the role that he was given here and you kind of actually want to see a little bit more of him and you can kind of understand why he went on to have a successful career later on and you know still show up and stuff now um and that thing. But it was just kind of crazy that, you know, he was in this movie at the, at the same year that he was in, in Clueless. So anyone who's ever seen Clueless and you've never seen New Jersey Drive, I recommend checking it out just to see him in this movie 
after you've probably seen him in Clueless and some of the other roles that you're probably best known for seeing him in. Um, so I want to talk about um, Heavy D's cameo in this movie because I always kind of forget that Heavy D shows up in this. Um, of course, this is 1995, so Heavy D was still like a, a name and everything, but he had started transitioning around this time to showing up in movies and TV shows um as well but in in one particular scene where he shows up um we got midget and matter of fact his his scene appears after um he after the whole car chase with roscoe because they actually ride past him and his people on the street right before roscoe chases down so then after they lose roscoe and everything they end up on the other side of the street and um heavy d and his people they come walking up and they get right up in their face and he just starts cussing them out and it's funny seeing heavy d you know cursing and and, and everything like that at, at these dudes and he tells like look y'all messing up my business and everything so that's what the whole thing about well is he or is he not a drug dealer was he a drug dealer because he's like this is my, you know this is my this is where i conduct my business and y'all messing it up for me and it's like your business well also you was out there standing on the corner so are you a drug dealer like, is that what's going on here? You, you drug dealer? You, you, is that what's going on? But it's never made clear exactly what it is. And it kind of been cool if we would have saw more of him, but I guess they can only get him for this small role um, and everything. It's, like I said, it's just an interesting scene, just seeing him just kind of come in, cursing people out, and then when he walks off screen, that's the last time you see him or whatnot. But it was just kind of interesting seeing him show up in this movie. Um, So... Talk about uh, Jason and this girl, um, Corinne, who she kind of floats in and out of the movie. And the first time we see her is that when when the guys are all kind of sitting around, just hanging out, she walks by, she speaks to him, of course, because she's a good looking girl. She she does look really good. Um, and she got this low cut. She kind of looks like the lead singer from um, from the group Total with the short haircut and everything. She just never really she just never had on the dark shades. But. It would have been interesting if she did, because she would have looked exactly like her with those shades on. Um, but anyway, so like I said, they all walk past. She walks past them, and they all kind of like, hey, come here. Come come talk to us. Come here, you know, and everything like that. And she keeps going. So then she kind of just shows up randomly with Jason walking on the street. And, you know, uh, Midget and Tiny Dime, they show up, and and everything and they basically get jason leave with them and she's like oh you're gonna leave me for your boys and this that and the other so it's like okay were they in a relationship or were they were just friends but then there's a scene later in the movie where jason is like you know um he's like okay so what about our friendship and everything like this and it's like so it's never made clear if they really are in a relationship and then also too there's a point in the movie where apparently some years back um uh, Corinne and Midget were were a thing, and he's trying to push up on her, and it's like, well, okay, Jason's supposed to be your best friend, but you trying to push up on on the girl that that he's supposed to be with, and does Jason even know that y'all was together? And is when it comes to certain relationships in this movie, it's like there's things that's not made truly abundantly clear, and this is highly one of those things. But I, I thought their relationship could have been expanded upon too because they would have added 
a little bit more weight to the whole movie and probably gave more sympathy to the character of Jason. But I felt like they kind of dropped the ball um, with that as well. Um, so I uh, do want to talk about uh, Gabriel Cash's performance as Midget because I think of everybody in this movie and even though Sharon Corley is supposed to be your lead actor, but I felt like Gabriel Cash's kind of steals the show to some degree away from Sharon. And it, it probably is the fact that Sharon is not that good of an actor as Gabriel as midget. So you kind of find yourself more towards leaning towards midget than of, than of Jason. And the best way I can kind of compare this for anyone who's ever seen, uh, the 1998 film belly starring DMX and Nas, it kind of feels like that where Nas is supposed to be the lead of that movie, but DMX steals the show with his with his charisma and how he's able to command the scene. And then when you really think about it, there's a reason why DMX had a more of a successful movie career than Nas did. And the same thing here, you can kind of understand why Gabriel Cash's continues to get work and continue to get work after this movie, opposed to Sharon Corley, who kind of just faded away in a way. And their relationship kind of reminds me a lot of that, where they supposed to be, friends and everything but there's certain things that's like how exactly are these dudes friends it's like it, is it that um to kind of compare it to my previous episode of over the edge the same way um uh, uh matt Dillon's character and um michael eric kramer like how exactly were they friends and it was the fact that that matt Dillon was the the bad kid was he was he's more of an influence because of the fact that you had this good kid that was hanging around the bad kids because he didn't really have too much else to do. And is that the same thing here of where um, Jason, who seemed to be a better kid, if he probably lived in a better neighborhood or something like that, he probably would have been more on a straightened track, straightened arrow, opposed to where he's living at, the environment that he's in. He just happens to fall into with the bad crowd and, you know, getting all types of trouble. And I think the movie kind of alludes to that to some degree. But it just like how exactly do you do you do as a friend, especially with all the stuff that Midget does? And, and of course, at one point in the movie, he just starts to lose his freaking mind with certain things. He has no problem of becoming an aggressor towards the police and even shooting at the police um, on a roof and everything like that. And And it's like, well... Jason isn't like that, even though Jason is the one that goes to jail. But um, later on in the movie, Jason goes to jail. But at the same time, Midget, who's actually crazier than he is, you know, he never gets to that point. Yeah, he gets beat up by the cops, but pretty much everybody gets beat up by the cops in this movie. But he he never finds himself getting into, you know, trouble the same way that Jason does. It's almost like the cops kind of take somewhat pity on jason because they probably feel that he is a good kid and also too whenever he gets arrested his mother is always there which shows that he he had he comes from a family that cares whereas we never really get to see midget's home life except for a few scenes of where his older brothers who all um are ex-cons and things of that nature and then he has a sick grandmother but other than that we don't get to see too much of his home life 
Whereas with Jason, we do. And like I say, the constant of his mother being in his life, I think helps him in that regard, opposed to that of midget. But I thought Gabriel Cashin, he does a really good job in this movie. And it's funny that he he does this. Um, and then like right after, not right, right after this, but a few years after this, he plays Denzel Washington movie, uh, brother in, um, in the movie Fallen or whatnot, where he plays kind of a, like mentally handicapped and everything but he's always been like a, a fairly decent actor and like i said you can kind of see why he continued to get work after this movie but to me i think this is probably still his best performance of his career because it showed that he can play like this kind of loose cannon of a character but he he never like just continued to play these type of parts which was which is good and everything so i mentioned about the fact that midget gets beat down by the cops so like I say, this is kind of one of those things that's kind of running throughout the movie where the cops is always harassing the kids and everything on the streets and everything. So Jason and Midget, they're walking down the street. They got some alcohol and everything. They get stopped by these these two um, patrol cops. Um, and the female cop, she kind of tells them, like, pour out the liquor and everything. And then they curse at her and everything and this, that, and their nature. And then they start take off running. Um, Midget, he runs one way and the cops follow him where... Jason takes off the other way and he gets away. No one chases him, but it's funny seeing midget trying to run in the damn Timberland boots. And cause he's run, he's like running with all his might and everything, but he ain't really going nowhere cause he got only heavy boots and they not tired either. So they chase him down the alley and it's like eight or nine cops. They, you know, they chase him down this alley and then they just beat the holy hell out of him. And then it's like, after this is where he kind of slowly descends into madness because one of the few times after that, we see him with his gun and they're on the rooftop. And like I mentioned earlier about him shooting at the cops from off the roof and everything. It's like he just continuously antagonizing the cops to basically, I don't know if at this point if he gets like a death wish and he just wants to die, but he won't kill himself, but he wants to basically commit suicide by cops or something like that. But it, I think once again, and, I, and I've said this a few times before, this movie kind of drops the ball when it comes to certain things. Um, and I mean, I understand that this was, they was trying to tell a, a story and they do tell a certain story, but I think some things could have been omitted and some things could have been built upon. And I think Midget's um, mental state is one of those things that they probably could have expanded upon um, as the movie goes along, especially after the whole him getting beat down by the cops, because his character does do like this tonal shift. This, that's somewhat subtle but it's very much on the surface like there's clearly something wrong with him after he gets beat down by these cops so the movie kind of does this whole full circle thing of where in the very beginning we saw where jason was being taken into lockup and everything so we find out how exactly he gets to that point because it's midget jason and their friend peanut who are out riding around and they stopped to steal like this real nice looking uh, red uh, van and everything. And as Midget and Peanut get out to, you know, take the car, the alarm goes off and they're there, you know, like, feeling around trying to get this thing to turn off and try to take the car. But off in the cut, we see where Roscoe has a camera. And he's videotaping the whole thing. So he basically got them on tape in the act of actually stealing the car. And they realize that there are cops around when the cops pull up and and everything and instead of trying to run jason just stands there allows himself to get captured they grab midget and everything and start you know wrestling with him 
Peanut tries to take off and and flee in the truck, and as he backs he backs up and everything, they unload in the car. They shoot him like eight or nine times. They kill him, and a whole big thing is brought up about it because of the fact that the cops killed a sixteen year old, and of course the cops were trying to act like it was whole just self defense type of thing, um, and all that type of stuff. And now what's interesting about this is that we don't see that um midget gets locked up but we do see jason get locked up. and it's like how is that possible when jason was just standing there on at, you know next to their car that they came that they rolled up in where you had peanut and midget actually inside this car that they're attempting to steal but but some way somehow uh midget doesn't get locked up which always kind of was a head scratcher to me in that regard so jason he ends up going to jail for a while and this is where we kind of get like an emotional scene between him and his mom because the mom's coming to visit him and everything. And they seem to be on really good terms here and everything. And then after some time, he gets out and he comes back to the old neighborhood and things are kind of different. And even Midget is kind of different. He's rolling with a different crew of people because for the most part, all his old crew is pretty much either been locked up in Jason or dead like Tiny Dime and Peanut. So he got a whole new crew and he's kind of acting different and they don't really expand upon that. The, the reason why he's even acting different towards Jason. And I, I kind of had a theory that maybe he told on Jason. He kind of ratted Jason out, but you never fully get a clear sense of that. That's just me kind of theorizing on something or whatnot. And so Jason, after he gets out, he's spending more time with uh, Sharon and everything and you know that's when the whole thing about hey what's, what's up with our relationship here this that and the other as they sit in a parked car and that's they know they get carjacked and it wasn't uh karan's car it was actually um her mother's car and she's pissed about it and everything so midget he shows up he's kind of trying to figure out what's going on and she's telling him like you get the hell away from me i don't want to deal with any of you like y'all don't understand and it's that and others like you and your your friends and this that and the other and midget he's like trying to he's like laughing and joking about it and then that's when him and jason get into it and jason kind of flips out on him he was like that's the jason i like he's like i'm glad you're home and then he gets in the in the van he takes off he but he gives to him this look like as if like you're not the same guy anymore or or maybe i'm gonna kill you type of it's it's an interesting look that he gives as he drives off and after all this happens him midget and these people that he's riding with in this in this stolen minivan basically you know they're riding around they get chased by the cops and i hate the fact that they do this i guess they i don't know why they don't show it but they get chased they're getting chased by the cops and then it fades to black and then the next thing we see is that um a news report saying that this minivan been in a, a car chase and it got into an act well they get shot at like 30 times two people end up dead and others in the car are seriously injured and midget is one of the two that's killed alone it was him and this uh pregnant girl that were the two that were killed and everybody else was like just shot and wounded and everything but nothing major and it's like why they couldn't show that i mean we see everybody else we see tiny dime get killed we see peanut get killed you know but we don't see where one of our co-main leads of the movie we don't see when he actually gets killed we just kind of do this whole fade to black and then he's dead type of thing. And it's like, well, I wonder what, what, what was the, 
what was the choice in that really because i think it would have probably added more to it if we saw it happen opposed to just being told it happened and how it happened but um after this whole thing happens this is where jason i guess decides to get his life you know straight and everything because he's probably thinking like if he don't if he continued down this road, he'll be just like midget, tiny, dying peanut. He'll end up dead too. So the last thing that we get of him in the movie is him sitting in the classroom and he just kind of has this thousand yard stare or whatnot. So I would assume with what I just said that basically he does get, he does turn his life around and go on to leave, you know, live pretty much successful life or whatnot. Well, a better life, I should say. Um, so, of course, what I've been doing with these uh, troubled youth episodes, I kind of been talking about how they connect to me personally. So this movie somewhat hits home for me because I actually knew a couple of guys that I went to school with that they used to do this. They used to steal cars. I was I was close friends with one of them. The other one I knew because of my friend. And fortunately for me, I never got involved in that. I, uh, anytime they was like, oh yeah, we should go out somewhere. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to either play basketball or I'm going home. Uh, because uh, I ain't got time for that. Uh, like, I ain't got, I'm not out here trying to, you know, I'm not out here trying to steal people's cars uh, and everything. And I never understood why they did it because they didn't come from, you know, bad homes or anything like this. So I never understood why they was out there doing that really. But that's something they used to do and they, end up getting in trouble for it and um my friend he he got in trouble and got locked up a few times i would say that he was more like the jason and i would say that the other guy was more like um more like a i would say he's i won't say he's necessarily like a midget because he didn't have this type of personality but he was like you know those type of kids that we do see in this movie and like i say it, it used to bother me that that they would do stuff like that because my friend, the one that I was friends with, he actually played on the football team in high school. And he probably, if he would have, like, really took it seriously, he probably could have, could be playing in the NFL right now. He, he was really that good. And I'm not just saying that because he was a friend of mine. But, I mean, we're not friends anymore. But at the same time, I felt like he could have had a better, he could have been doing more with himself than out there just, in the streets like that, stealing cars and things of that nature. And that, like I said, that's how this movie kind of connects to me. And that's kind of one reason why I decided to do this movie, because I did have somewhat of a personal connection um, with this movie, opposed to River's Edge, uh, which I might end up watching at some point too. But like I say, for this troubled youth thing, I, I decided to switch it out for, for New Jersey Drive. Um, if I had to rate, uh, we'll give a favorite character, um even though he has a small part but i actually like donald Faison's character um and even though like i say i could have easily said gabriel cassius as as a midget but i don't know i just kind of liked um donald Faison's character and like i say once he's killed off his character does kind of loom over the movie in a way um or whatnot you do kind of find and, and i think that kind of adds to it and maybe that's why he was chose to play that part because his presence is missed after he's killed. So, um, if I had to rate the movie, 
it's it's not a bad movie, but I have to give it a two out of five because of the fact that from a storytelling standpoint, they kind of drop the ball with certain things and 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 we spend just kind of too much time just with these kids just out in the street. Now it, it makes sense for them to do that in the movie Over the Edge because that was the whole point of this this uh planned community in a sense of where these kids didn't have nothing to do. So them getting in trouble made sense because there was nothing around for them to do. Whereas in New York, New Newark, New Jersey, um, in 1995, I'm pretty sure there was stuff to do for these, with these kids. But the fact that they chose, they chose to go out stealing cars. I think we spend too much time, you know, just hanging out with them when there were certain things from a storytelling standpoint that could have been expanded upon that probably could have made this movie better. So that's kind of why I went with a 2.5 to uh, not a 2.5, but a two out of five rating. Um, that's pretty much for this episode. I want to thank everyone for listening. Hope you've been enjoying these troubled youth uh, episodes that I've been doing for the month of November. And I'm probably going to post it uh, on Twitter. I just want to know what, uh, are some troubled youth movies that um that the listeners uh my followers on twitter that you might like and everything so if you comment about it and you know let me know i'll definitely give you a shout out on the next episode um as i wrap up the whole um troubled youth uh films with uh episode 142 as i'll be um uh, talking the movie uh mid 90s which was um uh, Jonah Hill's directorial debut. That's going to be the next movie I'll be doing for the month of November before I before we get into December and everything like that. So I want to thank you all for listening. Of course, you can check me out on Twitter at JMovieTalk, on my personal page, The J Giles. Um, if you want to shoot me an email, you can at JMovieTalk at gmail.com. Um, if you know, let me know what you like about what I'm doing with the show, uh, things that, or what I'm not liking, or what not, blah, blah, blah. Or if what you're not liking that I'm doing with the show, and I can and give me some, you know, feedback of what you think I could do better with the show, um, or things of that nature. And of course, you can check out all the J Movie Talk episodes, a part of the TV Zone Podcast Network. Um, of course, our host site is uh, Podbean.com. That's TV Zone Podcast uh, dot Podbean.com. And of course, you can check out all the episodes, a part of the network, um, on Apple Podcast slash iTunes, whatever they're calling. It. Uh, Stitcher and wherever else you listen to your podcast at. I want to thank you guys again for listening. And of course, I want to give a couple of shout outs. I have to shout out uh, Ryan and Martin from the Blood and Black Rum podcast, JD from the WrestleBread podcast, and Jeff from Jeff versus the World. Thank you all again for listening, and I will be back for episode 142. Peace! First things first, man, you f- with the worst. I'll be sticking pins in your head like a f- nurse. I'll attack any n- slack in this map. Come fully packed with the fat bucket stack. Shame on you when you step through too. The old dirty bastard, straight from the Brooklyn Zoo. And I'll be damned if I let any man come to my center. You enter the winter, straight up and down. That shit at cam, you can't slam. Don't let me get fooled on the man. The old dirty bastard is dirty and sticking. They saw unique rolling with the night of the creeps. They- Ain't saying can't